Hey guys, it's me, um, back again with a new podcast, and so, yes, yesterday it was really weird because I didn't have an episode to do or upload, and that was strange for me, I didn't really know what to do with myself, (laughs) I mean, since I started this podcast, like, there hasn't been a day that I haven't had to think about what book I'm going to be doing, and then, like, prepping myself for that, and taking notes, and yada, 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 so it was definitely weird. But it did give me some time to, you know, just get some me time and pamper myself a little bit. I did my nails, which I kind of regret because I just, I don't like fancy nails, but it's fine. Um, anyways, so today we are hopping on in with a new book review. We are heading over to Royal Road to check out a story called The Chronicles of Shard, Never a Name Spoken. This story is written by a person called Charles Patton but his username is selrak72. I will be linking his URL to his story in the description box below, so make sure you check that out so you can find him and look at his work yourself and make your own opinions. Um, He does have two other, uh, one other work aside from this one, so two in total. This story is currently ongoing with 10 chapters. It is adventure, drama, and fantasy, and there is a warning that says this fiction contains traumatizing content. Um, for the statistics of this story, he has for almost every single category, actually not almost, but with every single category, it's five stars. So overall score, style score, story score, grammar, and characters are all five stars, which is pretty impressive. Um, and yeah, so we will hop on into this with the summary. Shard. A world drowned yet dotted with islands is set at odds in a war in a war older than memory. One lagoon feels remarkably at peace. With the war far from their shores, they're free to focus on a greater concern, the witch. Imprisoned upon Gabriel's tear, a nearby rock jutting from the sea, the witch crooned powerless in her all telepathic fury. Though all were awash with fear, should they wander within range of her all-seeing eye. Bedtime stories were told to keep children in check, lest they be whisked away in the night and devoured. None dared speak her name. Sirach, a young boy, was soon to be enmeshed in her future, and that of the council, who controlled all in an iron grip. Not even Mother Sea could predict the outcome. Woe be to this planet, woe be to this blue planet, woe be to this blue marbled called Shard. And that is the summary. Um, my opinions on the summary, my nail just fell off, is I think it was decently length. And I think you get like a hint of uh, at least what I'm assuming Sorak being the main character and maybe even the witch. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, I can't really. The grammar wasn't overly bad. I do think there were a few abrupt stops. But. Other than that, like, I think that it was pretty decent for a summary. I mean, summaries are kind of difficult because it's like, what do you keep in there and what do you take out, you know? Alright. So moving on to chapter one. We have a note here from the author. It says, The island of lagoons dawns free from their war-torn world, but most instead endure the savagery of a witch hell-bent upon their destruction. Sparred War, McGraden, and Rafe are nonetheless banished. Spared War? 
Spared? Spared. Spared war, McGraden and Rafe are nonetheless banished, even as Rafe suffers an implant designed to kill both her and her unborn child. Young Sirach fails to understand the importance of a new ritual, deciding instead to run off with his best friend, Dioti? Dioti? Girl. Um, as far as an author's notes go, I don't really think this is not really a technically an author's note, because author's notes to me are usually like, hey, this is my first story, and thanks for checking it out, or, some, or that it's informative in some way from personally the author. I feel like this is kind of information that belongs in the book and shouldn't be in a note. I feel like it should be in the story itself. But I digress. So without further ado, we will read chapter one. The Expanse was a map of repeating blue. The deluge had swamped the world. There was no one left who remembered how things were before. There was no one left who cared. What was and had been since before memory. The inhabitants had more important things to concern themselves with. Survival was a task never neglected. The fears were endless, yet what the rogues feared most was the witch and then the war. Here, a bitter rivalry lay of which all had forgotten the cause. This war raged from horizon to horizon, for it was one of many. Woe be to this blue planet. Woe be to this blue marble called Shard. McGrain looked out across the expanse of Mother Sea, to whom all rogues held sway. It seemed he possessed the eyes of an eagle, always wary of danger, a never-ending threat. Yet he didn't need such unparalleled vision to notice the sea's golden trim, whisking over the surface in perfect rhythm with its host, Mother's Flood. The sparkle gave off a deceitfully blithe, temperate ambience. The calm water was not equally warm and was soon to tighten its clammy grip as the last of the twin suns bid their final farewells. He too said goodbye to the day and head down below into an all-encompassing waves. The tear hut defied the laws of physics with its warmth. The unusual mix of tribal build long since ceased to surprise him. In truth, it never had. Was it not wise to adopt all manner of an enemy's craft when it's best their own? He spent the better part of his life growing up in tear huts. The wooden frame was sleek and of course shaped as a tear with its base spread wide and a narrow neck leading to a portal on top bobbing atop the ever-present ever waves. The tear hut was weighted to just the right degree to be mostly underwater and nearly invisible to praying eyes. The housing was covered inside and out with native hides atop a layer of wax tar. Whether or not the structure was waterproof on its own wasn't a question asked. It simply was. Yet his certainty was encouraged as this one was of his own design. McGrady had to admit, why take a chance on any other? There was no railing or mast of any sort to make them visible to the more modern vessels, or anybody else for that matter. With no defenses to speak of, this was a matter of stealth. The thin blue crust of wood banded around the vessel's midsection was also a personal addition. As with everything else, its purpose was to keep the tear hut afloat by maintaining a balance, and it had, at least in calmer seas such as this. The tear hut was expansive, revealing a single room with enough space to support a rather cramped family of five yet it proved quite comfortable for the two only two present. McGraden, it hurts. After the hatch had closed, McGraden looked down to the supporting rungs. His wife, Rafe, severed the implant. The council had given it to her, as was their purview. They existed as the ruling body of all Lagoon, the island that was once their home. They were men, every one, 
and a pardon as much as such to linger as shepherds to a wayward flock. In this time of war, they remained as a few men could, safely at home. This injustice was compounded by the very fact that justice was theirs to dole out indiscriminately. None existed to judge the what. None existed to judge the judges, so that they had the authority to inflict upon her the implant. Still, that didn't make it right. Bear it down, my sweet. I try, but it hurts so. I'll find the serum. McGrain spoke as Tearhut shuddered equal to his sudden movement. No, I, I must learn this pain, and our serum is short-lived. After finding the treasured item, he turned to his ailing wife. I'll not be long. The water will increase it. McGrain, Rafe spoke in a moment of clarity. You know it's no good. This will be the fifth time. With each time the effect grows shorter, I must learn this pain. Somehow. In some way. How else can I bear your child? The infant's cry the infant's cry existed only in McGrady's head, though it seemed as real. With a twitch of his brow and some reluctant and some reluctance, he spoke what, what his heart felt. Rafe, my sweet, forget the pain. Forget the child. You are too important. I can't risk both to gain another. The child screams, my love. The implant tells me so. I hear another part of me going in another direction. The child is me, and I... I am the child. You are too important. No, my love. The child is. McGrady knew it was the truth. He could not speak, and the fear crept over him like a nightmare. His gray, sagging garment seemed to tell the tale his face so valiantly tried to hide. Do not worry, my love. I will learn this pain. How could she? He heard the fairy tales of implant births, but knew of none in this life. Thoughts sunk him down to the grave, where he was sure he'd find soon find her. It's always painful, this birth. I know not from experience, but I've seen it. I've heard the cries. I know I lived this pain too soon. This implant is a curse. He knew. He too heard the cries from the sudden past ringing through his thoughts. Those cries all stopped soon, too soon. The pain came on too fierce and sudden, whisking their last breath away. That of mother and child, wicked as it was, this was by design, a form of punishment. Do not fear, my love. I have a secret. It torments me that I have withheld it, but there is no better time to tell than now. I, my love, am an implant birth. My mother bore me to the eternal sea. You know her, you've seen her, and still she breathes. The grating fell back onto the concave floor, upon which balance was a gift unto itself. But this, how could, how could such a thing be? He could not believe his own ears. The joy that should have flooded his soul was tempered with doubt. How could this be? He had never known of anything like this beyond a tale to bring both terror and delight to children. Yet equally, he had never known Rafe to tell a lie. It's the truth, my love. It was hidden and sworn to me to hide. Her protection depended on it. The rogues would surely have sought both her and I they known. When they had, when they had, they would finish us. A pause stood still. A pause stood time still. To have the implant is not a cause of concern. To survive it is. This much he knew, but he'd never known anything, anyone to survive it. The rogues ruled lagoon, permitted with secrets. The council knew more than the villagers in all things. They still do. The implants were an accursed thing, preventing the child of, a, of all who stood against them. Preventing the, tr I'm sorry. Preventing the birth of all who stood against them, justified or not. The end result was the death of both mother and child. You know it's the truth. We are here because you so loved me, but it goes deeper still. Deeper? How much deeper could banishment go? Or to flee death? 
which proved equal punishment. This indeed was McGraden's crime, for he too was raised a warrior. All boys were, of which every last one knew the day would eventually come with war, when war called them forth. It's called McGregor not so very long ago, and he was read to heed the call, but he hadn't. Rafe was under orders of exile, and he had not seen her gone in such a way. So he chose another path, one in which his farewell would be in tandem with hers. Lagoon has brought us to Lagoon has brought us to exile that I dare oppose council's ban against implement pregnancy. My very existence does so. Survival is a chance they must not have, because I fear they know what may be possible. Their hold must appear absolute, lest other attempts are spawned by example. To this to this death would surely claim the army they have created of us. I am of the curse, or our lot is deemed useless. All men are bred for battle, yet we, who cannot cultivate our own, we are put out in the front lines of battle as, fodler, as fodder, while those free of implant birth, the tribe, this much you know. Those who know of me have kept their watchful eye on me. Mother see ought damn them, every one. It is I to whom they should embrace, and you also. You as I, you as with I, have been marked for death. And why? Because you dared to love me. You dared to embrace the implant. Do not worry, my love. You will have your child. I, I want more than the child. I want you. And me you shall have. I will learn this pain. Perhaps I'm the only one who could. And there's a chapter break. I will say, I'm kind of confused. I don't really know what's happening. And, like, that's the point, I think. But at the same time, like... Is the only way they can have children is by implant birth? Or, like, does sex not do the same thing that it does now? You know, which is to repopulate like naturally or is like like, did they want this baby and did they want a kid like that's my question like were they trying to get pregnant and she couldn't and then they got implanted as why is she getting punished I have questions alright chapter break the bells rang true of Lagoon's pride the conquering tribe it revealed a joyous clang to a bitter one Joyous for the honor of the conqueror in his clan, and bitter for the burial of the same. An olden voice resounded through the empty trees, amplified within each villager by the power of the mind. Yet telepathy couldn't save this brave soul, not in life, and certainly not now. I feel like that line doesn't really make any sense. Are they dead? He's talking about the dead people? I'm confused. Many a twin sun had set since the wayward soul had begun his endless journey. It was only perchance the hus that had housed him returned home one last time, bearing a mark, a hand-carved charm that struck a chord of memory. So a eulogy of Asian orig- origin, a rite of final order, was arranged and given a voice. It was an honor to be that voice, and Xion knew well that it was so. Though he was requested, who else would it be? It was he who presided over the whole of the council, a man in yellow to represent the twin sons, and thus he represented the fathers of all. From the sea we are born, from the sea born are we, and to her embrace we shall return. Water is our eternal mother, the twin son of our father. To these our kin, our blood, we, all of us, shall one day merge. The greater of the two, 
to the lesser, of that which begins not but the others shall finish. A lad, Jarrett, was only a lad, yet a brave one. He was old enough, as the right so said, so upon our mother's fury a challenge was raised. As all know, ease holds no honor, nor could manhood be earned by anything less than wrath. So for pride's sake, in our own, Jarek chose his path upon our mother's blackened tide. So it was, so it is, to our misfortune and to her glory that she claimed him for herself. Yet he lasts a soul upon the calm, so many years swept away. But from the moment of his loss his memory remained, and we shall sail past our own end. More than memory, a sister remained. I'm gonna fuck up this name, guys. Asisi? 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 Asis? I'm gonna call her A. I'm gonna call her Ace. Young but now grown with offspring to call her own, fourfold, we bless our mother, matriarch of the eternal sea. Thankful as she saw fit this day to return Jared, our, wor- our word, our would be warrior, to our humble shores. The often turbulent skies gave sway to the calm as a blessing from above as Jarrett was returned to where he was claimed. This time tied well upon a raft, tied well upon a raft so father's sons could join mother sea and child in pride. A volley of tears replaced the strains as Ace's youngest son looked on with a disillusioned wonderment. Sorak's eyes were wide and curious. At twelve, he didn't fully understand the nature of the gathering. He suspected from other wandering glances that he wasn't alone. He'd never been one to he's been he'd never been to one of these. But was it, his mother said, ritual something or other? Not long before the event she had taken him aside, saying he'd soon experience something new that hadn't yet so very often happened wait, what? That hadn't happened so very often, not anymore. Adulthood was earned young in this war-torn world. Not that he'd achieved that lofty goal, but soon. New was exciting at first, but his mother's sudden look and barely controlled tears had tempered his skittish reaction. She told him it was new for her, too, and that those claimed at sea rarely ever returned. She said it was a special occasion. Sirak couldn't see. He wanted to ask his mother to hoist him up, but she told him on countless occasions he'd grown too big for such things. It wouldn't have mattered. When he looked up, he saw her tears were no longer restrained. Then, in utter amazement, he saw what that what men remained also cried. Most men had been tested and sent forth into battle, even as Father Ezrin was gone had been for some time now. Sirak himself was too young, but would surely join him soon enough. He was, however, man enough to know this wasn't the time for such things. He would have cried too, simply because of the sorrowful atmosphere, had he not seen his friend Diote sheltered among the sea of women. His normally attentive mother was unusually occupied at the moment, as was Diote's. All minds were distraught, but not theirs. He saw this as a perfect opportunity to sneak away. As soon as his stealthy, st- as soon as he stealthily made his escape to Diote, he grabbed her hand in his and took off into the darkening yet welcoming forest. It wasn't long before the trees enveloped them both like a blanket. It was dusk before the confusing ceremony began, but now firelight was the only means to see. Every now and then, the stars peeked through the dense foliage. They were illuminated as brightly as ever, but did not return the gesture. An occasional giggle of childhood waning escaped their youthful mouths, and without a word they ran until they reached a secret place where the trees broke into a beautiful meadow. 
The area was known and made use of in other rites, but special only to Deodi and himself. Why? They didn't know. It was where they came and played, alone. That had to be it. Alone. Sometimes he didn't like being called rogue and being expected to grow up to be a great warrior, like his father. He just wanted to be called Sirok and live in the trees and Deodi, of course. Live with the trees and Deodi, of course. Though his parents loved him, sometimes it seemed too much, or for the wrong reasons, or whatever. Sometimes it just wasn't enough. Diody felt the same, but then she would. Diody felt the same, but then she would. Upon Lagoon, had, upon Lagoon, all had a part to play, and moments like this were fading away into the nothingness. Obligation and duty were forgotten when they were alone. It was why they were friends, strange as that it was in itself. To this day, his mother still worried for him. Why, she once said. Why linger with Diody every spare second? She's a girl. Boys of your years ought not do such things. Then, with a hypocritical pause, a softness, a softness follows. With a hypocritical pause? Sorok and Diody cared little that their friendship was such a problem, but now, she, now wasn't time to think to that. Far from it, now is the time to play, and play they did until the noises came. Sorok heard it first, well within the confines of his mind, and then their special place was flooded with familiar voices screaming their names, Aces, Ace leading the parade. And that is the end of chapter one. Um, there's another note at the bottom. The Chronicles of Shard, never named spoken, stands as my longest completed work at 15 chapters and 35,510 words. It fits perfectly into the novella range, which isn't easy to promote, but I have decided to view it simply as a short book. Myrtle Eternal is longer, but unfinished. Perhaps The Chronicles of Shard is unfinished, too. Shard is a fictional planet that's about 90% to 95% covered in vast oceans. There are scattered islands all across the planet. Lagoon and Gabriel's Tear are just two of them. I briefly mentioned another named Kittimore. The Chronicles of Shard was always meant to be a series of little stories, with each entry covering events taking place on different islands. I'd also meant for a few of them to focus in much closer on the mysterious war taking place in the background of a never name, of never a name spoken. I may continue, I may not. I suppose it's all dependent on how well received never a name is spoken. I've mentioned that never a name spoken covers 15 chapters, all of which I plan to release weekly here on Royal Road, Sweek, and Wattpad. However, it seems finished. Since it's finished, it's also up for sale at Amazon Kindle and Barnes and Noble for only ninety-nine cents. For these, for those who don't want to wait. Um. So as far as the story goes, so far. I'm not gonna lie, I'm very confused. I feel like I'm missing some details. Um, the grammar definitely could use some work in my opinion. You definitely have spots where you need commas or it should be a question mark, but it's not that huge of a deal. It's not It's not honestly the worst grammar I've ever seen in my life. It's actually pretty, pretty good. Like it's just a few areas that really need it. Um, I think the confusion is probably where it gets me because I feel like some of the wording is kind of like overly wordy. Um, so it makes it kind of difficult to really understand what's happening because my mind tries to focus too much on the sentence instead of the visual that I'm gaining. This all said, though, I did gain a visual, which is 
awesome because that's obviously the point when you're reading a story and I am intrigued on how all of these characters are going to um, come together if they ever do um, overall I'd probably give the story about a four uh, I would love to see just some of the grammar kind of fixed a little bit and like maybe some of the wordiness taken away just because there were just like a few sentences that I had to be like wait a minute <laughs> um, but overall I thought it was a really well done story I think that the author definitely has something original here and you know knowing that this is a short book like I feel like you know I just feel like there are some details missing and I think that the author should go back and really kind of like fill in some of those blanks to make it a little less confusing and just kind of like take away some of the over wordage because you know I always say simplicity is always best especially when it comes to writing you know having too much of something just kind of makes it a mess um I will also I'm gonna have to say like I really hate the ellipses you use the ellipses quite often and you use it in dialogue which is fine um I just personally don't like seeing them because like just in this like one section of that before we get to Sirach's point of view we have one two three four five five ellipses moments six actually and I just think that like in dialogue you can get away with it a lot more but you also have it in just regular detailing um and it's just it's just a pet peeve of mine um you know to each their own it's obviously not gonna like kill anybody having ellipses um but yeah so overall I definitely would give the story a four um I hope you guys enjoyed this episode uh, before I go, I do want to say I have something really exciting in the works. I don't want to jinx myself by saying anything more than that, but it's 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 really exciting and I, I can't wait and I hope you guys will stick around and you know to see it because it's it's gonna be it's gonna be something. <laughs> all right guys, I will see you guys in the next episode. I hope you all have a great day. Don't forget to find me on Twitter. Instagram, as well as Inkit under the username The Inkit Podcaster. You can also reach me on my email, which is also The Inkit Podcaster at gmail.com. And I tend to respond pretty quickly. So, yeah, have a great day, guys. And as always, stay lovely. Bye.